Do you know how the Marvel Universe is? Every story is connected. There are different stories, but every story has is linked to the other story. And then I kind of say to myself also, something else called a content flow, where you basically, every piece of content flows into the other one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Content Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Hedge, the finance content agency. Today on the show, I'm joined by Dozi Anya Bunam from User Gems. Um, we're going to be talking all, all range of different things to do with content marketing, and I'm really stoked to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us, Dozi. Hi, everyone. How's it going? <laughs> Great to have you on, mate. Um, look, just to, to start off with, it would just be good if you could introduce us and tell us who you are, what you do, and a little bit of your background. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I currently run content for User Gems. It's a pipeline gen SaaS tool um, based out of the US. Um, and then aside from that, um, I'm a fan of storytelling. So I feel like I try to explore what other things can I do? I mean, because I feel like storytelling content is one of those things. And so, yeah, I have a newsletter I write um, on content marketing. I have another newsletter I'm working on, on exploring what taste feels like, which is for alcohol and food. And I have a podcast on immigration. Um, so I feel like most of my life is split into work on content. And then on the side, I play around with content, you know. So like that's that's me in a nutshell. If someone wants to say, tell me a bit about you. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a storyteller who's exploring that world in every way possible. Yeah, awesome. I think that that's that's cool, isn't it? Because the, the the things that you learn on your personal projects can often really carry over nicely into your professional life. And obviously you have a lot more scope to kind of do what you want, try new things, try things that maybe you couldn't get buy-in from senior managers or whatever, have a go yourself. And then if it works, you've got a bit of a, again, a story you can say, hey, look, I tried this, look what happened. Why don't we try mm. here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I think that's why I love love it that way because you're you're absolutely right. When you it feels it almost feels like um like I said I'm hacking work because all I literally do most times is I run experiments first on my newsletter or or on my website or on the podcast itself or whatever I'm doing, and then when I see oh yeah this is what I can do or this is I, I need to adjust it here or there. And I'll take it and I'll build a plan around that and pitch it to my boss. And I go like, hey, I want to do X, Y, Z because I see the work this way. And then some of the stats I put in are some of the stats I've seen on my own end, you know. So it makes it, makes it more fun, I, I guess. Um, although a friend said to me someday that you should find something else to do. You can just spend your whole life doing everything in content. Man's got to have hobbies, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, like that's, I think that's, that's how I see it. Like, it's just about just do what you enjoy. I mean, and then if it's, if it flows into work, then you take it into work and explore that with work itself. Mm, yeah, for sure. So it's interesting that we've kind of started off there because it's one of the things I wanted to, to talk to you about is um, two aspects we've touched on there, really your newsletter firstly, firstly, and then also about content repurposing. I had a look at your the most recent, um, I think it's the most recent issue that you had um, some stuff in there from Ross Simmons, and he's obviously really big on content repurposing. Yeah, you talked. You mentioned there about you know your podcast, your own newsletters, that sort of thing. I feel like 
content marketing is changing a lot at the moment and we can get into the specifics of that. But one of the ways that I think is going to be how you win is by doing more of those things that maybe haven't been as obvious in the past. So the podcasting, the newsletter, how much kind of cross-section is there in the content that you do or repurposing either purposeful repurposing where you're, you're really you know, being very specific around cutting things up and putting them elsewhere or just the themes that you talk about? Is there loads of crossover that you're finding in the work that you're doing or do you tend to approach every kind of channel quite separately? So there are two themes that guide how I approach content for the past one year. And I've seen people give them work, give them like terms down. So and I really like it. So someone says, I think Andrew Holland calls it building a content universe, like almost like building the way you're the Marvel universe. You know how the Marvel universe is every story is connected. They're different stories, but every story has is linked to the other story. And I've seen Ashley Faust of I hope I'm pronouncing her name properly, of Atlassia, and say that she calls the build the content playground. And then I kind of say to myself also, something else called a content flow where you basically, every piece of content flows into the other one. And so for me, those things literally guide how I approach content, production, and repurposing. So really, I always think of, I always think and say to myself, what's the, what do I want to be known for? I mean, we call it topical authority also, entities, all those sort of things. But I think of it more like every piece of content is either a street or a house or a, or a street lights, or it's the drainage. And that's how I see it. Like, so, yeah. And then, when, whatever channel you put it on, it might be slightly different. It might be repurposed, but does it serve that purpose where when the user or your reader or whoever comes into your world, they just go across all those things, like almost like, and they're having fun. And then along the way, you now put what I call doors that lead to a sale or to an action. You know, that's how I tend to see content now. Like, so it's like I give the reader, I put the reader in a boat and then they just, they just paddle across the city and, you know, they're entering different doors and you, know, you have a video, but the video is someone, in, someone talking about a part of the blog that you, talk, so you, so for, that's a for example, let me use a practical example. So let's say I'm working on something on pipeline gen generation. Um, a pattern gen guide. And then when I'm done with the guide, I go get SME insights and add in there. And then I go get one of the SMEs and record a short video talking about a key part of that, you know, and then I put that on YouTube. And then I also take that, put it on the blog itself. We take that part, cut it into a cut a bit of it, put it on, on social. And then you link all of them together. So the reader goes, watches the short one, like, oh, I want more. And then, you know, they, mm. go, they, they go to your blog and see that. Oh, yeah. So you, for me, it's, it's always like saying, I'm always thinking and saying to myself, like, everything I build or everything I, we create as a team, how does it add to the world we want to build for anyone who's going to come into what we are doing? Because I think a lot of times when people talk about repurposing, it almost feels like repurposing, resharing, distribution, remixing, it almost feels like we're all, always stuck on, you know what, just create a blog post and then just cut it up into bits and mm. put you know, put it on. And I, I think that works though. Also, for so it, like it works in in certain areas. But once you start to think of your your content engine as a world you're building or a playground, then you start to ask yourself: every single channel has a purpose. And so, even if you're repurposing a piece of content, then like, what are you repurposing it for? You know. So, mm. 
blog is probably like the long form. And then if you want to propose it for a newsletter, why should you go in a newsletter? You know, so I like to think of like, when you think of it that way, I feel like it, it, it kind of answers the question where you, where you said something you said about purposeful repurposing, because then you're being purposeful about how the content shows up the, mm. the, and the, the role it plays in every single other thing you're trying to do as a business. Yeah, that's really interesting. The, I, I like the way you describe it as like storytelling, because I guess if you think of the biggest or most well-known brands in the world, like they do have a a world or universe, like that makes a mm. lot of sense. Like if you're, you know, if you were dropped into a room that was like the Nike room and mm. like there was no branding anywhere and you had to guess the brand, you could probably yes. like guess it or maybe a hotel is a better example or like the Ralph Lauren hotel or whatever. Mm. And so that's, that's really, really interesting. So when you, I guess if we're talking about it in a way of storytelling, the way that different people will create stories is, is unique depending on how they approach it. You know, some authors will put together like a master plan of their world mm. and their story and have the whole thing built out and then they kind of fill in the gaps and then others will just sort of start the story and then let it take them where it takes them. When you're approaching like your content marketing storytelling, is it more number one? where you have a grand master plan and then you just slowly chip away at that over time across mm. all the different channels? Or is it more that you start with maybe something fundamental like the blog, for example, and then build that out depending on where the traction is or where the feedback is? Yeah, so I, I tend to prefer to start with number two because I feel like number one is really the ideal one, but then it's it's budget intensive. Like you need to have resources to pull that off. Yeah, you know. And then I work at a startup like a series A, it's something one-man content team. I have a colleague who also manage distribution also. So it's a pretty small team. Mm -hmm. And we work with freelancers. So it means that for me is every single time is, sometimes literally I'm saying to myself, social can be the first place where a story shows up. And then depending on how the story behaves on social, I take, I now know what parts of the story I want to take and make into a longer story and tell more parts of that story to, to people across different channels. Um, so I'm constantly say, looking for where can I test a bit of that story and then take it and turn it into something else. And then depending on how each part behaves, I start to extend it gradually. And over time, and then every single time you're evaluating, auditing, say, okay, so what's happening? What are people reading? What are people reacting to? What are they engaging with? And then you're extending those bits that are performing well. And the ones that aren't performing well, you're either collapsing them into the ones that are doing well, or you're just kind of pruning them off your site totally. Um, so I, I tend to do too, because I'm like, if you have a small team or you don't have the budget to have like a lot of people working on those sort of things, they are like, you know what, just, and I also feel like two is also more fun now that I've done it for like a year plus. Like it's more interesting because you never know where the story is going. It's almost like all those puzzle books we used to read when we were kids where it will tell you open to page of 10 and you read page and said, choose between 10 and 9. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you choose 9. You go there, you're like, oh, you're there. You're like, oh, no, I should have <laughs> gone here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that I tend to do too, actually. Yeah, awesome. So how are you finding then with, like SEO is, is changing a lot right now. There's been a lot of talk around this. Um, different social platforms are changing all the time. What are you focusing on when it comes to the distribution of your content? Because you've obviously got the, that, you know, that, that well building, building the brand, building the messaging that you want to put out there for your, for, for user jams. 
how are you yeah how are you tackling distribution at the moment where are you focusing bulk of your um bulk of your efforts in that area i think of distribution as can i find nodes that help me distribute aside from just my own personal channels because your channel has its i mean it's good to help build your channel and do stuff on that but your channel has its limits so do you find nodes so and nodes could be human beings or it could it could be guest posting or just that sort of thing so what what we explore right now is every single piece we create a couple of things must happen to it one is that we must find internal and external smes who contribute to that piece now once i have someone contribute that piece then instantly for one reason or the other I, that person instantly becomes a node for me to distribute that that piece to his or her or their community or network because mm. I share with you with a with a breakdown of hey here this is what you spoke about and all those sort of things and then that that happens and then the other thing we are thinking about is do we have like guest post partners who we can take a breakdown of that piece of that story itself it doesn't have to be the full story but like a breakdown of that and share that and write on their own blog or share on their social on their on their own social with their social community and then aside from that the other question is the other question i'm almost asking myself and trying to answer is if i have this piece and it's written right now with smes and all that stuff what other format can you show up in or is there a part of that piece that is that resonates with our audience that we can pull out and create another format and you know, publish somewhere else and then link back to the piece. Almost like guest posting, but this time around, it's also, for example, you could take, say, you know what, if you are working on a how-to and then just the how-to that an SME has shared, you get the SME to record like a short five-minute video. So we have this program we call, we have two video programs. One is Smarter in 60 Seconds and Five Minute Takes. And so all this, these two different video programs allow us to create different pieces of content from longer form pieces and then get use that to distribute the content in a different form. But again, again it's the kind of comes back to, to the, the original thought you had, which was around, maybe it was around lead generation or pipeline generation or, you know, how to solve for uh, multi-trading, those sort of things. Um, so for me, that's, that's how we kind of think of it right now. Um, and then also at the same time, also, do you want to do paid media? Do you want to add paid media on that? Like, I feel like that's a, you have to do that if you can, if you have budget to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm more focused on like, what other, what other ways can I create extra nodes aside from my channels, myself and the paid channels I have? Um, because I feel like when, if you get, if you get that right, then over time, your, 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 your content starts to build a life of its own because literally it's yeah. just going out there and just doing stuff and showing up across different places and people are reaching back at you and say, hey, I saw this piece of content, I saw your piece of content here. Can I backlink to it? Or can I, I found it interesting. Can we, mm. you know, that sort of thing. So that, that's how I look at it these days. I, I actually even tend to think that you probably, we, we should probably start calling distribution repurposing. Like, I feel like that's what we should start calling it. Mm. Um, yeah, and, I mean, because in the end you distribute, but then, when you repurpose, I feel like you distribute much, much better yeah. than just thinking yeah. of just distribution itself, you know? Mm. So that's 
an interesting aspect then in terms of so what you were mentioning at the start there was about it's almost like a networking piece right so if you've got <laughs> so just so i'm like understanding this correctly so as an example like let's say you're i don't know a SaaS business whose end end client is like real estate agents for example so mm-hmm. you would write an article or a guide or something which would be um targeted towards your ideal client so targeted towards real estate agents you would interview a couple of real estate agents for that piece mm-hmm. and then once the article was done you know they had some comments in there and that sort of thing you would then share it with the expectation that those experts would share it to their own network who you would expect would be a number of other real estate agents right yeah yeah it's yes yeah, so almost yeah almost like a multi-level networking piece in the sense that yeah every single person you find and some of them will share that happens sometimes some will yeah. read it and just like oh yeah yeah i'm not interested in sharing mm. but if you got like what i what i found is that if you got if you if you use someone had some someone contributed to one time second time the third time they often share by the third time because they're like oh yeah i mean these folks think of me as an expert and mm. they want to share my insights. You know, so I was actually, I even wrote down my journal yesterday that I think one of the biggest skills that content managers need to learn over the next couple, over the next year or two, especially with all that's happening in content right now, is how to create what I call, what, um, what someone I worked with used to call content boards. Like, so finding your content boards, these are folks who you can always reach out to, to say, hey, I'm writing a piece of content what are your thoughts on these? They're like experts yeah. who you work with. They're experts who are friends, who trust, who love your work, who trust your work, who always share your work when it comes out because, oh yeah, they play the part in making that work a much better piece. And you know what? You know what's actually interesting that sometimes I think about sometimes, I'm like, that could actually be an interesting to build a community of people who read your work and engage with your work. But maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that takes time and some experimenting because I've not done that yet. Um, but that's yeah. like a thought that I keep thinking about every now and then. Like, this could be interesting to build a community for content, like the content you create. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm, I'm going to think more about that because that's like, you know, they always say that the best the best form of business lead generation is is word of mouth, is referral because you've got literally somebody in that position who is vouching for you. And if you can, you know, that kind of content strategy has an element of that, doesn't it? Like if they're, mm. if you've got a, a real estate agent who has a good reputation and they're sharing your content by definition or by extension, they're, they're, they're vouching for you and saying that yeah. they, they, <laughs> they trust you enough to associate themselves with it. And yeah, I like it. I really like that. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about the trust factor. That's actually true. Like it's actually every single time they share that piece, they're actually just saying, yeah, I trust them enough to, contribute to your stuff and then share it with my people to read definitely definitely um i mean that that is one way of building trust that's really good i've not heard that before um i think trust is going to be huge in the next 12 months especially right like we've seen everything happen with like web3 and crypto and all that even kind of the mainstream tech sector we've had like massive layoffs a lot of people kind of disillusioned with with things um and there's sort of even more, um, not political, well, there is lots of political discourse, but discourse around like, um, you know, wealth gaps and all that sort of stuff. And I think trust can become really even more important than it always Mm. has been. What are some other ways that you're looking at really driving home, like the trust aspect of what you're doing? And I guess just before, sorry, just to do one more thing is like, 
AI as well, right? Like we've got all this AI, not just um, AI like chat GPT, like written AI, but we've got um, all the deep fake stuff. You can fake people's oh, voices gosh. now. Oh, like gosh. it's getting crazy. <laughs> I saw a video of Tom Cruise yesterday and someone goes like, like this is deep fake. And I'm like, yeah. I, I would have fallen for it. Like I would I would have thought that was Tom Cruise. And then people were like, no, <laughs> yeah. this is a deep fake. And I'm like, gosh, like, we're in for a ride the next 12 to 24 months till someone comes up with something to spot deep fakes. Mm. But in terms of building trust, I, I, I think that, and it's kind of, I'm just, what I'm thinking of doing right now is kind of building a second layer atop the current one I'm currently doing, which is basically saying, can I now start building more expert-led content um, and not just content that comes from the, the the author dossier who's the content manager or someone internal is like can i build more expert-led content so can i find experts within the industry or within the topics i want to write about and get them to work with them to create pieces authored by them but hosted on my site mm. um because then what that means is that when I, it's just, it's just, it's basically an extension of the interview them and use them as SMEs on your piece. This time around, I'm just saying to you, hey, you could literally say, you know, and I've seen a couple of people do that. I, I'm, I'm, so I'm probably not the first to do it because where they get an expert and say, hey, you either own, it's almost like how you have in the New York Times, someone owns like a section and they write about stuff, maybe they write about finance every week. And so it's like, so can I, can my blog or my content program, start to work with these experts and basically help them to curate content around their what they know and their insights and then publish that from my site mm. to and my audience gets to read it. Because then what what's that what's what starts to happen there is that aside from them sharing is that people when people come on the site and see these people, um they the one they are yeah, this you probably paid them to do it. They know that. But as long as these folks are credible enough and know what they're talking about and know what they're doing, then whoever is reading that piece looks at it and says, oh, yeah, these people aren't just writing from Dozier's perspective or they they're writing from industry perspective, mm. from trusted voices who we look up to and who we listen to when they talk to us about this, the, these things. And then it becomes much easier to build a, the halo of, a halo of trust around your business and the stuff you do. Yeah. Um, so I, th I think for me, is a, a big part of that is just working with more experts over the next 12, 24 months. Because, yeah, like with what AI, with what chat GPT and the rest of it, I mean, I use it. It's like it's part, it's part of my tech stack these days. Like, oh, you want to generate more titles? Yeah, run that. Run that through and get more ideas. Like, I love playing around with it, but I'm like, in the end, content has to have soul. And it's you need to find the soul. And maybe one way to find soul these days is can you work with people who understand that thing down to their bones and then get them to add their own personality to your pieces and then that way you create a different kind of soul just from yeah everything content and all that's going on with the world i would definitely agree with that and it's been an interesting trend that i've seen actually over the last few months basically since ChatGPT came out was that my my agency specializes in financial content and that's yeah. that's because that's my background um and Originally, it was everybody just wanted stuff ghostwritten and they would put it under their company name or under their people 
that work for them or whatever, which is totally fine. It's the deal. But lately I've had a lot more people who are asking if they can use my byline. And it's not because I'm special. It's just because I have, if you go on my LinkedIn, you can see, oh yeah, he's worked for a bunch of financial companies. Yeah. Like it just, it just means that it's an actual person that you can point to and mm. say, oh, that's a finance guy and he wrote yeah. this. So yeah. I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think we're going to see a lot more of that where, and then by def, by kind of extension there, I'm not going to use AI to write that because it's got my bloody name yeah. on it. So it's not like, <laughs> you know, like I don't, I need to be able to justify it if it ever comes to that. So yeah, yeah. I definitely think we're going to see, see more of that over time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's, it's, it's where we'll go to um, because I mean, AI can spit out anything you want it to spit out, but it can't spit out what Jason is going to spit out and because Jason will write from his experience and all AI can do is paraphrase what you write, you know? Mm. So like, I'm sure we'll still find better ways to, to generate more trust, you know? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that I, I, um, I think it was on one of the other podcasts that you were on, I heard you make the comment that, uh, great content can make, sales team's life a lot easier and i think i like that because i think that's something that's often overlooked we talk a lot about marketing and brand awareness and um you know bringing generating leads and that sort of thing but i think what we don't realize is that how much that impacts the sales cycle like i don't remember the specific number but there's like old school old data from like the 90s or 80s or whatever where um something like you needed nine touch points or something before mm, you mm, could make mm, a sale and like back mm. in the day that had to be like a billboard or three mm. phone calls mm. and two letters <laughs> in the post whereas now people can have eight of those touch points before they've spoken to a single person in your company um how do you do you create specific pieces of content that are designed to facilitate the sales process or do you just see it as kind of the brand broad the broad brand building piece and being helpful and providing value is enough to to do that no so i, I tend to think of it so I, I this we internally we say me and my vp of marketing say that um someone has to visit our site seven times before they trust us mm -hmm. so that that's like a metric internal metric we have like someone has to come on our site seven times and then they trust us so what that means for me is that I split content into two types. There's the there's top of funnel brand building stuff that goes on. And then there's me talking with the sales team. Like we sit down and have like hard conversations about questions they're getting, things they want to answer, stuff they want to talk about. And then I build specific pieces around that. And then I just send them the links and they can just take that piece and then add, the, add that to their outreach and all those sort of things. Because what then happens is that sometimes like, so what you're doing at that point is that you're hoping that each email that goes out is a multi-touch email. So the email comes from user gems and then they click through and read the piece. And that's the second touch for you. And that's, that's another, that's another touch. They, 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 they recognize your brand again. Like, okay, this is what they do. Or this is why they're useful to me. And that way the, the goal is as you get them through the, your cold emails layered on with, a piece of content that is useful or very that or talks directly to what the cold email is talking about. That double touch combo of just having that article on the email helps the prospect one trust you more to understand who you are and why you're why you're going to be the one to solve their problems. 
And three, hopefully re reduce the steps it takes for them to go to a demo request or request to speak to someone in sales, that sort of thing. So I tend to see I tend to see content as like it has to play. Content, yes, has content has to build brand, build awareness. So like create de de demand generation, as they say. But at the same time, also content has to facilitate demand capture, you know. So mm. make sure that when the sales team are doing anything, I'm I mean, like I say, I'm almost I'm I'm like chat GPT of sales. Like that's what we are. Like we we make yeah. it easier for them to have faster conversations. So I like it's yeah. every every content manager has to always be thinking of those two things. You can't think of just brand alone. I mean, yeah, brand in the, if you brand is good because in it's almost like they say long and short. In the long term, brand wins. As once you get brand right, in the long term you win with brand. But in the short term, you have to keep those short commercial goals going because mm. you have to feed you have to feed the engine to keep the brand goal coming up in the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's all it's not one or the other, is it? Like the the objections yeah. that the objections that you're providing resources to help your sales team. Like I don't know, someone's complaining about cost, and you put together like a comparison guide of the different solutions or whatever for example mm -hmm. like yes that helps with that particular sale and other clients that have that same objection but then again it builds trust because if somebody lands on that or it comes mm -hmm. up in your cold email sequence or something mm -hmm. you're you're being upfront and saying yeah this is what we cost but the, and these are all your alternatives these are the pros and cons like there you go so it's all it's all part of it isn't it yeah yeah it's all it's all part of it like and I think that's why I love content in the sense that it's just that it's one of those roles that allows you to go between different parts of the business. Uh, you know, mm. I mean, like, and if you if you think about it, you literally go all the way. Sorry, you literally go all the way to churn if you want to actually extend to that point. Because like, you're also asking yourself, like, I'm also speaking to the customer success team, like, oh hey, like, so how do you handle churn prevention? Like, I'm currently working on a piece where I'm interviewing like over 15 customer success managers about stuff. And then I'm going to take that piece and put it on, put it on the blog and sales team will use that piece. But then that piece kind of leaves across two stages of the sales journey. It leaves mm. the pre-sales journey and then stuff that happens post-sales because yeah, sometimes people's people, they're thinking about, Oh, I buy your product now. Then what happens after I mean, my champion leaves? Uh, what do I do with my, when, when my champion leaves? How do I manage that process when my champion leaves? So that piece is going to answer that question, which is not something you would see when they're thinking about, oh, I just need to buy the product right now, you know? Yeah, awesome. So um, you've, I've seen you mention a couple of times in um, LinkedIn posts and that sort of thing about people-first content. Do you want to just give us a quick overview of, of what you mean when you say people-first content? So like, you know, you know it's an office tell story. So I, when I joined... And we started building a content program, you know. So it's, the first thing I did was, I was like, okay, I spoke to the sales team, I spoke to my boss, I spoke to um, the 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 fellow in customer marketing just to get a sense of what they were talking about at that point in time, and all the things that I wanted to talk about. And then I just started creating content around those those topics. Like I didn't check SEO, I didn't like, I didn't write, I didn't check mm -hmm. for any keyword. Like I just started creating content. I just so we build content for like four, five, six months without looking at any, looking, I didn't track keywords for, yeah. for that period, I think. And then after a while, this pieces start to rank for keywords. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I'm not like, okay, now what, so what I'm doing is, so what I'm doing is I'm telling Google the topics I want, I want my website to be about. 
Uh-huh. I'm not Google is not telling me the topics he thinks I should be about because I feel like when you do keyword first content, what you do is you go check the competition, which is good. I, I mean, I think every program has a place for that. Like I feel like every program, but when you're just starting out, and I'm trying to explain people first content from the back, I think. So it's almost like saying, what are the things that our audience, our clients are thinking about? And then I'm going to build content around those things. And when I do that, I'm going to coach Google or hopefully coach the algorithm that these are the things that my audience wants. And this is the things I want my site to be known for. And then once the algorithm starts to pick that up and rank me for those things, and then I start to see, I start to double down on some of them. The ones that I think that we've moved on from because either we changed our message or our positioning, I prune that off and and I keep adding more. And so that's how I approach content all this while. So it's a mix of, what are people asking us about? What are people thinking about from on our blog? I mean, on our sales calls, when I watch our gone calls, what are people worried about when I talk to when we talk to people? What are people um, talking about on LinkedIn? The audience we are following, like some always trolling, crawling through LinkedIn, just typing hashtags, looking, checking up what influencers are saying, reading mm. their comments, and I'm saying, okay, so these are what people are talking about, and then I start to build, like start to build those topics. And then over time, those topics start to rank. And then you now say, okay, you know what? If those topics are ranking, so what are the this, the long-tail keywords for those topics? And then I, that's, that's when I bring in the keywords in. So it's people first for me, like, what are people looking for? What are people talking about? What are they writing about on social? Because I feel like social is one place where people go and talk without thinking of a keyword. They're just, they're just saying something. Because even yeah. if you went on Google and searched on Google, what you get is a keyword, how to solve for, how to create a new podcast. Yeah, that's a yeah. very that's a very keyword driven word. But if you went on LinkedIn, people are worried about different things about podcasts. And then if you take those topics, um, I should do better with Reddit. I mean, because I feel like Reddit is also another gold mine for that sort of research. Yeah. Uh it's a gold like it's I've only gone there a couple of times to check. I should really do better with doing that. That's but then LinkedIn Reddit's is like amazing. My, yeah. Yeah, it is gosh, like every single time I've gone there, I'm, I always walk away like, oh no, I should come here more often. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's a whole nother world. But I've I would say I, I built my whole career off what I learned off Reddit. Like the transition for me to from being a financial advisor to starting a content agency, it was it was Reddit. Like Reddit's incredible. Definitely, definitely spend some time on there. <laughs> yes. So that's that's how I've, that's how I tend to approach it, and it works because when we, for example, when we when I joined, there was a keyword that Google taught was Google used to think that it was a career-related keyword. Mm-hmm. And then, and I'm like, but that this keyword, we want to own this keyword. And then we kept on publishing content around that, exploring different aspects of it with talking to people and stuff and what people were saying, questions people were asking us. Today, that the whole SERP is now a SaaS-related SERP. Like literally... Mm-hmm. Folks who, like, it's crazy. Like, it, it hurts a bit because <laughs> <laughs> there's some bigger brands who have now come on there. Yeah, <laughs> they had, yeah, yeah. They had old articles that weren't ranking for that thing. And now those articles are now showing up on the server. And I'm like, yo, you ain't care when I started this job. <laughs> Why the hell are you coming up <laughs> on my server? I want to own it totally, you know? But <laughs> it's just so funny to see. And for me, that's, I think for me, that was a big lesson in that, yeah, the algorithm 
controls it, but you can also somehow coach the algorithm and say, this is this is the topic I want to talk about. This is a topic I want to be known for. Mm. And then stay stick to that. I think a lot of a lot of content, like one thing I've always rallied against is maybe because I spent a lot of time. I was first B2C first before I moved to B2B. Is when people talk content a lot, they start off with talking about SEO. And then you say a lot, yeah. of, so people build a content strategy where it's an SEO strategy. And some of it's like, I mean, content, this SEO is important in content because I feel like there's no, ch- no matter how much we try to talk about um, every other channel, I think SEO is still the biggest organic channel any brand can own. But content is not just SEO. And I feel like everything just kind of works. And so you, when you think about it, when you start thinking about it that way, I feel like you get better results, especially if you're mm. a small brand. Because if you're a small brand, you're literally, it's hard. It's a harder journey up when you're building that yeah. stuff. So you need to be more creative about how you approach the the different things you're building. And like by definition as well, those the tools like, um, you know, SEMrush and HRFs and stuff, like they're looking at, historical data so if you're mm. wanting to be like relevant and up and up to date um you kind of can't rely on that like and and chat gpt is another example um kind of hate that i keep referencing it but anyway um <laughs> it was like I, I remember someone shared the ahrefs data for a for chat gpt in like december or january and it showed zero search volume well, obviously, there was not zero search volume because like millions of people were searching for it. But because the data was from like the months pr- prior, yeah, it's showing a zero, and so that kind of tweaks something to me. That's like, uh, so unless you're writing about very evergreen topics or you know, relatively evergreen topics, you've just got to be really careful of that if you if you're doing a keyword. Whereas if your strategy was people first content. Like, who gives a shit what Ahrefs is saying? Like, you know that people are talking about that. Like, so it's worth writing content about. Yeah, I, I literally sometimes find the, I just find the term. Like, it's crazy what I do that. I feel, sometimes I feel like, are you sure you know what you're doing when I do that? Like, I just find <laughs> the topic and the term. And then I put it on Google and just see what shows up. Sometimes the keyword doesn't have any, the keyword I'm trying to write for has no traffic to it. Like when you go on areas of SEMrush, like they don't, they, 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 it tells you no data for this keyword. But mm. then when I search on Google, I still I see stuff that pops up around that. I'm like, yeah. So yeah, people, this thing shows up in one way or the other. But for me, what's what's most important for me is I'm always asking is when people read this, is it going to solve something for them? And is this, are these based of questions people are asking? If it does, then I'm, I'm fine. Like, I'm just going to go on and write it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, look, uh, Doji, that was awesome. Like, I mean, I've got some massive amounts of value out of that conversation. Some things for me to think about. That networking networking as part of the content strategy kind of thing and the um, the world building, I really like really like that as well. So, look, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really good to talk to you. And, I uh, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Sure, sure. Thank you for having me. Like, it was really, really good talking here, honestly. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. So if people want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Ah, so usually I would say just go to my LinkedIn. Like that's my most active channel, which is just Dozian Yebunam. Yeah, just my LinkedIn is my most active channel. Everything flows off my LinkedIn. My podcast flows off my LinkedIn. My newsletter flows off my LinkedIn. So that's like my my social hub that I use more often. I'm on Twitter too, but 
I think on Twitter I'm more of a I just bit of a lurker. Yeah, I'm a lurker. I'm just <laughs> I'm looking at what people are saying and and then I full I just read all the smart trades and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well I'll drop your LinkedIn um LinkedIn profile in the show notes, guys, if you want to reach out to, to Dozy. That's that's the best way to find him. Thanks again, mate. Yeah, thank you, man.